0: Praise God. Why don't you remain standing today, if you will. I sure appreciate what I heard just a few moments ago from the district superintendent. I appreciate so much the Louisiana district. I have, I feel, learned just about everything I can think of from this district. My good pastor, Brother G.E. Chance, I want to give honor to him today. Brother Tenney made some comments today that I feel blessed all of us and puts us in the right perspective. And I am so thrilled about that. Amen. I want to uh, take my text today from Isaiah the 33rd chapter and verse number 20. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about why. I chose to preach on this. Strange thing happened to my wife and I yesterday while we were in Dallas. We uh were in the restaurant for a little while and driving on over to the campground. And we were sitting um uh, pretty close to four people there at the table and they were really talking about church. <laughs> Actually, they were talking about people in the church, and then, really, they were talking about the preacher, and it got so bad that um, one of the ladies said, you know, I didn't even like the preacher before this one came. Um, We just waited him out, she said. It took four years to do it, but we waited him out, and... I don't know how long that they talked about this. It was really interesting because uh, we were kind of eavesdropping, and that's something that we don't normally do. You have to turn your hearing aid up just a little extra sometimes to catch it all. But we were we were listening in a little bit, and it was so funny because not one time did they even mention about the Lord. All I heard was that the preacher was trying to get $6,500 for a brand new sign and it was just a whole lot of things that was going on. But I'm glad, I'm glad I'm a part of the Church of the Living God and I stand for that truth that we heard so beautiful about just a few moments ago, aren't you? Praise God. Praise God. I want to talk about the tent that God pitches in plain view of hell today. I look at uh, when we drive out to our expensive uh, airport, if you come through, you've noticed that it's really a great big tent. It costs five billion dollars, so that's a pretty expensive tent. And uh, but five billion is, uh, I heard someone say to to count, if you were to count to five billion without stopping, it would take you 100 years. I don't know if that's true or not, but a five billion dollar tent. You have to drive a long way to get out there and about uh, nine or ten miles out you can see this huge uh, tent that is out in plain view out on the plains. I want to talk about God pitching his tent in plain view of hell. You'll look in the Book of Isaiah, chapter 33, and verse 20. It says, Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. But there the glorious Lord, the word glorious there, when you look throughout the Bible you will find some five hundred and thirty something times that the word glory is used, and most of it is in connection with God. The glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. For the Lord is our judge and the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our King, He will save us. Thy tacklings are loosed, they could not well strengthen their mask, they could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided, the lame shall take the prey. Praise God, God bless you, you may be seated today. The tent that God pitches in plain view of hell. I really know that I could use the word tabernacle, and I could probably use the word temple, but I wanted something in all of its simplicity that you didn't have to use too much imagination. Because on a tabernacle or a temple, you probably could envision some great beautiful edifice. But a tent, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination. The setting of the text that I read to you from comes out of one of the most ominous periods of history of Israel. Sennacherib and his remorseless general Rabshakeh have set a siege around the city and the city had been seized for quite a long time. There had been an attempt by Hezekiah to barter and buy his way free of the siege that Rabshakeh and Sennacherib had brought to the city. But Rabshakeh decided that even though his king of Assyria had decided to release the siege, he wanted total destruction. He had written a letter, it was an infamous letter to Hezekiah that decries Israel's ability to defend itself a letter of mockery and unabounded cynicism. He said, if I gave you 2,000 horses to ride, you could not get enough men to ride them because you are a city that is totally defenseless and have nothing to stop the crushing army and the munitions that we bring against you. The king of Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria, was as strong as lions, and was as cruel as hungry evening wolves. No nation had equaled them in remorseless and wanton cruelty. The armies were so powerful, and her munitions were as many as they were mighty. And then Hezekiah took the letter. I believe that God saw the author when he was writing the letter. I believe that he knew everything that had already been placed there, and yet there was nothing that was done because God was not going to do anything until his people would bring that to his altar. Hezekiah took the letter in and laid it before the Lord on the altar and said, God, I want you to read the mail the enemy of your people have sent to us and said what he is going to do to us. And when Hezekiah finally took the problem there to the altar, It kindled a burning anger in the heart of God, and God told Hezekiah, I will put a hook in his jaw, and I will take him back the way he came, and I am going to utterly destroy him. Just hang on, we're going to preach in a minute. Then the promise that God gave to Hezekiah, though Israel was without defense, God let them know, he said, Jerusalem is a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. And I am going to be as broad rivers unto you and streams around you. I'm going to be your protection and your surety and your safety. I'm sure that in the crowd that I preach to today, that there's someone that has received some kind of mail from Satan lately. Has it been, friend, that there's been something that has been spoken to you, some edict from the enemy telling you what's going to happen if you step out in the cause of revival and sell out to the call of God? I'm going to tell you we need to take the mail that hell has sent to us and bring it right back to the altar. There's power in the name and there's power in prayer. If you ever want to get God stirred up into action, you're going to have to do something with what the enemy has spoken unto you. Somebody say amen. The Lord promised Israel an everlasting existence. They would not be a temporary entity in the world. The same promise that God had given to the church, the prophecy That upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That prophecy that God gave to the church completely and absolutely devastates the power of hell. Because God said, if I build it, all of hell cannot prevail against it. Thank you, Brother Tenny, for what you just said a few moments ago. The church is not a temporary institution. It didn't come to live and to blossom just for a moment and wither and die. But it's made out of eternal material. It's going to live forever and forever. It was said of Jesus Christ, he was a nail in a sure place. In the Old Testament times when they built their homes, they would put nails in the mud of the adobe to make it fast and sure and hung their treasures there. I thank God for what God has given to us. It was Calvary that gave me a sure nail that I can take my past and hang it there. I'm not going to worry about what the enemy is saying about my past. I thank God I can put my present and my future in the power of Calvary. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Word of the Lord says that the church, Zion, will be a city of solemnities. To Jerusalem, it meant basically the solemn feast days and that there would be perpetual offerings that were given. But for the church, I want to say that there's never going to be a lack of fire on her altars. It will never be warning for a man who will lift up holy hands with a pure heart that the people of God may be able to prevail in battle. Ah, pain, I hurt when I see some of the Elijah's going off the scene, it bothers me to think that some of my mentors have already passed off the scene. But I do believe that this is God's church. And if the Elijah's are gone, there's some Elijah's that's waiting in the wings that's going to have the double anointing that's needed to take the church of the living God onward. Because the church is not an entity about men. It's, it's not an entity, friend, master. they It's just about men, but it's about God. Hallelujah. And the word of the Lord is not just a book about men, but it's about God. And if it's about God, God shall prevail. Long after the morning, stars have gone out, friend. I want you to know the word of the Lord is going to go on. And the church is going to live on. I said the church is going to live on. And she's been called a holy people. A redeemed of the Lord. A sought out. and not forsaken and a peace that's within her walls and prosperity within her palaces her walls will be built out of salvation and her gates are going to be built out of praise yes i believe the greatest days of the church are still ahead you want to know what else i believe i believe that some of those greatest days are going on right here I don't believe it's just sermonic rhetoric. I believe God's having the greatest operation of His Spirit in the church that we're a part of right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I know that there are those that have walked away from truth. I, I know them. I know some that personally have left that were very close to me. And I can look at this sometimes and just about drives me crazy. But I've got to say this and all of it. Brother Beckton told me a couple of weeks ago when he was preaching our camp meeting, he said that there was somewhere around 87,000 that got the Holy Ghost, I believe, in the crusade in Ethiopia. 87,000? That sounds like the same number that was in the entire church in Jerusalem. Don't tell me that God's not taking care of His church. The same prophecy that said the flood would come to pass says also in the latter days the light of the moon is going to be as bright as the light of the sun. The church is going to burn bright in her final days. Are you listening to what I'm saying? The path of the righteous is as a shining light that shines brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. We're not a waning candle that's about to go out nor a flickering taper that's about to lose our essence and our vitality. Church of the living God has been in a lot of trouble. And sometimes she's been leaderless, but she's never been powerless. Hallelujah. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We have never been without God. And we've never been without our defense. As long as the earth brings forth her harvest, the church is going to yield her sheaves and praise will not cease. There's always going to be a fountain of ministry with men with burning hearts preaching out of a consecrated spirit. There will always be a flow of apostolic direction and a ministry that will adhere to the Bible principles and not be solid in proclaiming those principles. I thank God. Church of the living God. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a good wave offering of praise, somebody. There will always be a God-sent, heaven-anointed ministry that will see to it that the church will never lack. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Few historians really have any concept and understanding and the meaning of the purpose of history. Beyond recording and systemizing a few of its characters, historians have no clue to the significance of history. It's one of the problems of the Middle East. It's why the State Department learned historians cannot grasp the problems and know how to resolve the conflicts amen because they don't really understand the ministry or the mission of history the only real infallible source book that gives us the destiny and the purpose and reason of history is the word of the lord men like pharaoh Nebuchadnezzar, alexander caesar napoleon these individuals and their followers consider themselves to be architect of men's fates, the masters and the molders of history. But that's not the truth. Thank God. Amen. History's most significant event took place on a lonely hill, Golgotha. It was there in the blood-soaked garments and a disfigured beaten body that God in flesh came and paid the sacrifice for the sins of the world. The purpose then of that cross, and I thank God I can preach it today, that sacrifice was that there might be birthed in history the whole purpose and the object of history, and that's the church of the living God. Every event that transpired to serve the purposes for which Jesus got his church into the world, because the Lord, my friend, had designed that there would be a church before there was ever a world. Before time ever began to tick and before there was ever a star in the mind of God, there was going to be a church. Are you glad you're part of the greatest thing that there is in history today? I said, are you glad that you're part of it? The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, let no man glory in man for all things are yours. When you leave here today, I want you to remember the universe and the canopy of God's heavens and everything you can think of were put here by God, not for the world, but because the church might fulfill its purpose. I thank God for that. The significant events, and we had some in our city just a few weeks ago. The events is not transpiring, the significant events in Moscow or Beijing or Denver or some of the other cities but the significant events of history is what is going on in the church and where the church is meeting and what is going on because it's the center and purpose of god's history stay with me a moment it was not for their importance that history writes of pharaoh or nebuchadnezzar or sennacherib or others that they derive their significance and their importance The reason that they have any importance at all is because that they were in some measure associated to the people of God. The closer they were to God's people and the bigger role they played in the lives of God's people, the more significance they took on in historical events and what they said and what they did because God used them he used them even in babylon it says that babylon is a golden cup in god's hand cyrus was called an instrument of the almighty and he was a heathen king that did not know god others right now are mere puppets in the hand of god the strings attached to them and the other end of the strings are attached to god If I didn't believe that today, I'd be afraid to be in the church. But I do believe it. I do believe that God has got full control. Are you listening to me today? I want you to know the church of the living God is going to make it to the end. I may not be a part of it, but God is not going to let hell destroy the church of the living God. Hallelujah. He controls it all. I said he controls it all in the mind of God. There's not big churches and little churches and whole missions churches and foreign missions churches. God has one church. And wherever you attend and whatever you do, that's the greatest thing there is in history right now. That's the church of the living God. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 1809, there was a dictator who was setting Europe ablaze with his conquering skills and power. He was the talk on every tongue as the world was captivated by this little miniature man from France. Napoleon probably goes down as one of the most brilliant military geniuses in history the same time, in 1809, a child was born to a very wealthy and prominent family. Educated well, later on set as Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, Oliver Wendell Holmes. During this same time, there was another that was born in an insignificant log cabin in Harding County, Kentucky. Born to two illiterate people was a boy that was always a little homely looking and always a little ungainly. He was a man that went into business and never knew anything but failure. Everything he did seemed to leave him in bankruptcy, heavy in debt. Every political office he ran for, he was defeated in. But finally, in 1860, he ran for the President of the United States, and that little illiterate boy from Kentucky changed the entire destiny of the world. Abraham Lincoln was born, and yet the world didn't even know it because they were captivated by world events surrounding someone called Napoleon and his conquering armies. Let me say something to this camp meeting today. Out of sight of the world, out of the world view, and out of the newspapers and the accounts and the events of man, there's a bride that's being formed. There's ministries that are being incubated and formed. God is tooling saints and preachers in this last hour, and they're going to shake the world and trouble the forces of hell, and disturb the kingdoms and regions of the damned. Hallelujah, hallelujah, I believe it. In verse number 20, it says that this is going to be a quiet habitation. God says that his church is going to be a quiet place. Not necessarily in worship, but it's going to be a quiet place. We are going to hear sounds, but it's not going to affect us. Amen. It's going to be a place there, a quiet habitation. It's going to be when the economy gets into a certain situation and when there are a few people that leave and backslide. We don't need to get so shaken up to feel like everything is going down the tube, and I feel what I'm saying today. Amen, amen. Nervousness begins to set in. God says, that's not what I want my church to have. I want them to still have peace. And I want them to still have rest. And I want them to understand, I'm going to take you through. I don't care what hell is going to bring against the church. I built it right inside and in view of hell. And I didn't make it some big massive tabernacle or temple. I have made it just like a tent. That when the devil walks by, every time he says, all I see is cords and poles and stakes and canvas. It looks like I ought to be able to tear this down pretty easy. God says, I'm putting it right where you can see it. And I've got to tell you one thing, a prophecy is going with the church. The gates of hell are not going to be able to tear it down. I think I want to jump in this thing with everything that I have. I think I want to put everything I possibly can and invest into the work of the Lord with everything that I can. Hallelujah, hallelujah. One of the most beautiful sights that you'll see in our Colorado Rockies, besides the beautiful snow caps, you will take some time and notice the wildlife. It's beautiful that's there. I love to watch the eagle and the hawks that's there. Now, I don't know a lot about this. I just understand in the studies that uh, when they get ready to fly down to take their prey, that just about the time they spot their prey, they began to let out this loud, shrill sound and cut their wings, bank into the wind, and head down. And so doing the rabbit that's running as fast as he possibly can to get away from the hawk or the eagle. When he hears that horrible sound, he freezes with fright and terror. I think I'm I'm preaching to someone in this room today that sit here and has some fear that the enemy has brought to you. I want you to know that God says the church is a quiet habitation. That when that rabbit friend freezes in terror and fear, it's at that time the hawk can come and carry it away. I know the Bible says... That the devil goes to and fro as a roaring lion. And sometimes we hear the little roar and start shaking and quivering. And that is not God's will for the church to start shaking when they hear the roar of hell. Are you hearing me today? Some time ago, this happened some five years ago. Brother Tenney came to preach our 15-year anniversary service and uh, he didn't know it but at that time i had been struggling with some of the most horrible situations in my ministry never had any kind of confrontation never known any kind of trouble really major major trouble but something came in and blindsided me and my wife we had we didn't see it coming i didn't i don't mean to go into detail with this but i want to tell you something today amen I got to the place where the roar began to affect me. And I said, Lord, in prayer, I don't really have to stay. I I feel that you have proven that I have some kind of ministry that can be used. If it's not here, then somewhere I can be used somewhere. And I began to pray with everything I had. And I would hear the voice of the Lord when he'd say, you stay. These are the exact words. You stand and be still. Stand and be still and do not move. And it wasn't long, but a day or two later, I would get calls from preachers that I hadn't heard from in years, wondering what in the world was going on. I said, you need to pray for me. I don't know. I don't want to go into detail at all. But you pray. God is uh, going to work something out for us. And uh, it was, I think, Sister Haney in and Stockton was leading their choir on Sunday morning or practicing and she stopped everything and said there's something that I feel is going on in Denver, Colorado and I want to dismiss you to the prayer rooms and they went straight into prayer God began to do some things and because he told me just to be still this is a quiet habitation don't get so uh, nervous about it just be still and just wait and watch what I'm fixing to do and with just in a short period of time, God began to turn everything around to the tinny. And since you were there five years ago, God has given us 350 more people in our church, 70 per year. Since that time, if I would have run, you look what the devil would have done. The Bible says the coney of but feeble folk, and yet they make their houses in the rock. I thank God for the stability of the rock. I know it's good on top of the rock, but I think I'd like to be like Moses and decide, God, if you're going to do anything with me, put me inside and hide me in the cliff of the rock. And that's what he's done with the church. He's built this church inside the rock, Christ Jesus. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Come on. Come on, let's give the Lord a I think I'm preaching to someone in this room today that you felt a little shaken. i got good news for you. This is a quiet habitation. And God says, let the devil roar out there. That's all right. I put you inside of something he can't tear down. He's not going to tear this church apart. You hear what I'm saying? There are things that God is, the devil tries to imitate. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah. Satan goes about as a roaring lion trying to imitate our lion. But greater is the lion that's in us than the lion that roars against us. Somebody needs to shout, Praise the Lord! To my knees shout, praise the Lord. It's a quiet habitation. A quiet habitation. Stand ye in the old paths. Wherein is the good way and you shall find rest. Rest is the test if you're standing where you need to be standing. Hallelujah. If you don't have rest, you need to check on the ground that you're standing on. Praise God, I thank God for this doctrine. I thank God for the standards of holiness that we heard a few moments ago by this superintendent. The Bible says that's the place of rest. Amen. All that Israel could do was conquer their enemies, but in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, it says that the church had rest. Amen. Why? What happened when they had rest? It was because Saul of Tarshish had been converted. The very one that had fought them the most, the very one that had put out great effort to destroy them, was converted. I'm looking for it. I'm expecting it to happen. Other mighty miracles are taking place in the last hour. I believe that some of our greatest critics and biggest enemies of the doctrine are going to be smitten by the power of truth and God's going to convert them to the light. Look out for revival among the Muslims in the denominational world. God is going to touch somebody with the power of the truth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, the tent of God. In such a feeble place, right in sight of hell, God has built his church, a tent. Just a little gust of wind looks like it could get up under a tent, carry it off. It could rip apart the moorings and loosen it, flatten it down, blow it away. The devil walks around and says, this thing doesn't look like much you're right, we don't look like the most intelligent people that's there anywhere. And we are a lot different from the world, but in all our feebleness, all our insignificance, God says, hell, you can't bring it down. I've settled it in my word and you can't bring it down. The devil can't understand how anybody can be lied on and beat on and ridiculed and tormented, and still they won't pull up stakes and leave. Hallelujah! You know why? Because we're part of God's tent. We're part of God's tent. Praise God! Some time ago, we had a 15-year-old girl that came to our church, and she. Receive the Holy Ghost in such a beautiful way and she got such an experience with God that when she went back home after a few weeks Her father said You're going to either have to quit church or you're gonna have to move out and uh, She came and told me about it. So I said Pat. I don't think you want to give up this great truth Her dad was so mean. He was an ex-Navy man He was so mean that when we'd have people go visit with him, he'd try to sick the German shepherd dogs on them and run them off. And uh, she made the decision. Dad, I love you, but I'm not giving this up. It just don't make sense. I love you, but I'm not giving it up. And she said, I'll move in with a friend in the church, and she did. She made a stand, and, of course, her dad came to see what was going on. He had bragged about to his family members. He said, I tell you what, I want everybody to notice what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to that church. And uh, I'm going to that revival. And if that evangelist makes his way back to where I am, I want you to watch. I'm going to punch him out. And then I'm going to get up and I'm going to make like I'm going down there to the front. I'd like for you to follow me with follow with me because I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to act like I'm going to go pray at the altar, but I'm going to go down there and smile and make my way all the way back and back up the aisle, and I want all of you to follow with me." Well, sure enough, no one had alerted the evangelist that night, and I didn't know uh, that the man had made that threat. And this evangelist indeed did. I don't remember him ever doing it before, making his way through the crowd, going all the way back to the back, tapping the man on the shoulder and uh, asking him if he'd like to pray. The man got to shaking a little bit. Instead of him punching out the evangelist, he decided, well, I'll try plan B, and uh, got up out of the pew and made his way down the side there, looking back, hoping that he'd have a number that was falling with him. They froze in their tracks. They didn't want to follow him because they didn't know what he was going to do. He made it past the first part of the altar. And then before he got all the way down, he fell into that altar and began to weep and cry. God filled Eddie with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's preaching the gospel today. Amen. Amen. Not only that, but that precious little girl that said, I'm not going to be ripped out of the church. She's in Africa right now married to a missionary and has been on the field for a number of years because she said, hell's not going to strip me and take me out of this. This is the best thing that I've ever had. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil walks around and there's no columns and there's no hewn stones and there's no large, massive brass gates and no bulwarks of masonry. It's just canvas and cards and poles and stakes. But somehow he says, I can't get this thing loose, and I can't bring it down. The reason is because the stakes of our doctrine and the cards of our truth. When heaven and earth shall pass away, the message of this church is going to stand. You hear me? The feebleness of the church magnifies the one that's promised to keep her. I say thank God for the church of the living God. Somebody needs to lift your hands and let's praise the Lord for the church. I said, thank God for the church of the living God. You're right, devil, we don't look like much, but we sure do make God look good. He can take care of the weakest and the most feeble and the most lonely and broken ones among us. He can keep us into the church of the living God. Hallelujah! Aren't you glad you're a part of the church? (laughs) Hallelujah. All right. I'm closing. Praise God. We don't have the weaponry. We can't support the sophistication of those that bring out cannons, theological munitions and those are the ones basically that you see that are dying and waning and wasting away because the Bible says the the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I'm not a Greek scholar. I can read books that help me out a lot. And this is what I understand one of them gave. This is the translation of that. The implement of our apostolic career are not of the flesh, but powerful through God to the violent demolition of the forces of hell. You hear what I'm saying to the violent demolition of the forces of hell. You hear what I'm saying to the violent demolition of of the forces of hell jesus didn't win on points he didn't even win by a tko when he went to calvary he knocked the devil out and violently demolished him hallelujah 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 Word of the serpent it's in his head and jesus bruised his head and stole the poison out you ought to give god praise and thank god for the victory that's in the church of the living god this thing will not die honey i got news for you it's gonna go on and on and on and on Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The violent demolition of Satan's strongholds. That means he didn't leave one stone upon another. Be seated a moment. Amen. Israel going against Ramah, the Philistine fortress that was built against Israel. When Egypt came and diverted the Philistines' attention, Israel's king went out against Ramah. And when Israel's king did, they tore down the entire city that the enemy had built, carted off the timbers, took away the blocks and the masonry, and they didn't just take it away, they took it to Israel and built fortresses there in the nation of Israel. Amen. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did to the devil. Violently demolished. The scripture says he blotted out the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us. Nailing them to the cross. Taking them out of the way. Triumphing over them in it and making a show of them openly. I say thank God for the church of the living God. Where is mighty Babylon now? It's gone. Where is of a man it's gone but the great awesome power of that little feeble tent still lives today hallelujah it may not look like much but thank god hell cannot stop the church of the living god the church has a relationship that cannot be abrogated The church has a righteousness that cannot be tarnished. The church has an acceptance that cannot be questioned. The church has a title deed that will never be cloudy. The church has a position that will never be invalidated. The church has a standing that no devil will ever dispute. The church has a seal that seal that will never be violated or never be broken. And we bank at a bank that will never close for 24 hours. And we don't need condemnation. To bail us out. I say, thank God for the source of the church. Stand and let's praise the Lord. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give him a wave offering to praise somebody. Thank you, Jesus. The church has a peace that hail cannot destroy. It's got a joy that's unsurpassed. The church has a love that is.